in this place. God, we pray that as we've already sensed your Holy Spirit, we've, we've come to praise you for your mighty acts, but Lord, we have also worshiped you. And Lord, we truly have felt your presence. It's good to be in your house. God, I just pray for this word tonight that it would uh, challenge us, that it would encourage us, that we would walk up out of this place tonight different, empowered, strengthened, encouraged, more in tune with the Holy Spirit. There's none like you, Lord. We glorify you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Amen. I want to speak to you tonight on the theme, and we have already, we've already lived it tonight, um, more so than what I was anticipating, and I'm, I'm blessed by that. In fact, the title of my message is Worship the God Who Satisfies. Worship the God who satisfies. I want to read to you Psalm 63, and then I'll give you a little bit of a background on it, kind of put it in perspective. And I'm reading out of the HCSB version, and this is what it says. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Say amen. He says, so I will praise you as long as I live at your name. I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. But those who seek to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth and they will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become the, the jackal's prey. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast for the mouths of the liars will be shut. Psalm 63 is a powerful chapter. It's only about 11 verses, and it gives us insight, I think, into the true heart and nature of David. David, who was known as this man who was after God's heart, had many, many, many faults and failures. You know about that. You've probably heard him preached on many times, and I won't get into all of those faults and failures, but... When this particular psalm was written, David was in the wilderness. He was basically on the run. And he was in hiding, and he understood that people were pursuing him. And even in the middle of being on the run and hiding in the wilderness, he chooses to worship God. I think it's interesting when you compare the life of David and his time in the wilderness Versus, say, that of Israel back in uh, Israel's time when they were in the wilderness, when they were with Moses and when they were with Joshua, David praised God and worshiped God 
in his wilderness experience, whereas Israel griped and complained in their wilderness experience. And so you see a difference between the two there. And like I said just a moment ago, if there is a theme to this chapter, it is that God alone satisfies. And I think that there's a lot of people that, that don't pursue God, as Pastor preached on today. They, they don't really follow after God. They don't praise Him like they should. They don't worship Him like they should for many reasons. Maybe, maybe they feel like they've been burned by God. Maybe they feel like God has let them down. Unmet expectation caused them to just pitch in the towel when it comes to their worship. Maybe they uh, feel like God is so big and so holy as we sung about just a few moments ago that he is so great and he is so grand that they can't even approach him. They're unworthy to, to approach him. And so there's this block where people don't pursue, where they don't worship. But David wasn't like that. When you look in this chapter, David pursued God and, and David points out the reasons of his pursuit, the reasons of his worship. He mentions things such as in verse five, he says that God satisfies him as with rich food. How many of you have really been hungry and you, you have some kind of a meal that just overwhelms you with satisfaction? You sit back in your chair and you are almost stunned at how good the meal was. How many of you know what I'm talking about, that, that encounter? David is looking for analogies. He's looking for metaphors. He's looking for things to kind of describe the sort of satisfaction that he has in the Lord. He goes on and he says in verse 7, he says, I'm satisfied with God because God is my helper. How many of you God has helped? He goes on and he says things like in verse 9 that God's hand is literally holding him. His wings are over, over covering him and protecting him. Why does God satisfy him? Because David was a man that was constantly seeking and worshiping God. That's why. You see this pattern throughout many of David's psalms, just this seeking, seeking. It involves this ongoing relationship and connection with God. Seeking him means actively searching for his presence and his guidance in our lives. It means recognizing that he is the ultimate source of fulfillment and joy. This pursuit of God should be at the core of everything that we do as it brings purpose and meaning. Let me just stop and say, did you know that you were designed to worship God? Did you know that that's really ultimately your life's purpose is to worship God? It involves surrendering ourselves to him and his will and offering our whole bodies as a living sacrifice to him. In essence, Pursuing God and seeking him in worship is vital because he deserves all of our devotion. And in him and in him alone will you find true satisfaction for your soul. And I want to tell you another important thing is that in your active pursuit of worship of God, it will compel you to live a holy life. 
getting closer to God, pursuing God, getting closer to his presence, God will, by his sheer presence, reveal things in your life that may not be right. And that will compel you, if you will allow it, to live a holier life that's more pleasing before the Lord. And this chapter highlights the fact that being able to worship God and seek a relationship with him is something that is very unique in creation. It is something that is very special in creation. I want you to understand that. Nothing else in all of history has fell from the grace and glory of God only to be invited back into a, to the presence of God except humanity. God has sought a special relationship with us as his children. And we're able to pursue him. Why? Because the Bible points out that he first pursued us. We're able to love him according to the scripture because he first loved us. The Bible points out in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. John chapter 15 points out that he did, we did not choose God, but he chose us. And because of his pursuit of us now, we have the ability to go after him. Because he is the one that first pursued us, he is the one that gets to establish the boundaries and the parameters of the relationship. It's his prerogative. It's his responsibility. And what happens is I was, I was thinking about this. I come across this example, and I know it's not an exact parallel, but just... But just hang with me. I, it's like the game of tag. Surely everybody has played tag in here. And what I mean by that is to say, at salvation, it's like God came and he tagged us and blessed us with his presence. And now God says, okay, you're it. And he takes off and he's looking for you to follow after him. And as you chase God and as you pursue God in, in, in active pursuit and in excited pursuit, you get him. And then God turns around and he says, now I'm coming after you. And I'm going to bless you. And, it's, and it's, it's this give and take relationship. God isn't looking to keep from you. He isn't looking to save you only to then remove himself. God wants to be pursued. Have you ever played a game with somebody whose heart isn't in the game? It's boring. There's no fun in it. Takes the excitement out of it. It's upsetting. And I think that's kind of how God feels. When he comes and he blesses us and, and, and he, um, he, he, he surrounds us with his presence and then, and then he's like, okay, your turn. And we just sat there like a knot on a log. David said this, I eagerly seek you. I crave you. I'm going to pursue you. I desire you earnestly. Listen, God wants to be pursued. He wants to be longed for. And I don't mean to suggest that God has got an inferiority complex. Friends, he knows who he is. He isn't needy in that regard. But I want you to hear me. If you don't get anything else out of this message tonight, you get this. God knows that our wanting him is actually for our own good. Let me say that again. 
God knows that our wanting him is actually for our own good. He knows that if you will pursue him and get in his presence the right way, that you will be blessed and your relationship with him will swell and it will grow and it will turn into something that you can't help but be blessed by him. Our pursuit of him or lack thereof does not add to or take away from him, but it absolutely adds to or takes away from us. <laughs> It's our worship that positions us to receive God's bless. Salvation, friends, goes way beyond just reaching heaven one day. When we become God's children through Jesus' sacrifice, our journey to know him, it brings spiritual blessings and, if necessary, blessings in the here and now. But worship is to be ongoing. Many people believe that once they have found salvation, well, I've, I've got my ticket stamped. I'm going. What else is there to do? I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I'll just wait until there's a crisis and then I'll worship. It's this idea that I have been saved. I've been water baptized. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. What more do you want, Josh? What more does God expect? I mean, I come to church every so often. I, 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 I serve in ministry. I pay my tithe, and that's all good, and it's got its place. But this is what I want you to understand. The reason pursuit is important is because it signifies what is truly important to you. You will pursue what you think will satisfy you. Salvation said, tag, you're it. But now we have the privilege to pursue God in true worship. That's our tagging God. That's the way David was when it says that he was a man after God's own heart. In other words, he's saying, I'm reaching and I'm going to get that thing no matter what. I'm going to tag it. John chapter 17 and verse 3, most of you could quote it. It says, this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ, that they may know you. The only way that you're going to know God is to pursue him more and more and more. Listen, you can have been married for 50 years and not really know the, your spouse. You should. You've had time to grow and develop and learn And you can be married for 50 years and there might be things about the other person you never really grasp. And here's the exciting thing about God, and John pointed this out earlier around the angels that are, that are experiencing God's presence. They know God. They're in his very presence, but they never get tired of him because they're constantly growing in him and they're discovering things about him. There is no boredom in heaven. God is, is all satisfying. To not pursue God is to say that I have found all there is to know or that I need to know. It's a form of saying, I'll pursue you in as much as I need you and no more. But I want you to understand this is pursuit of the infinite God. Do you hear that word, infinite? 
When we have been in heaven for millions and billions and trillions of years, if they even keep time in heaven, I don't know. We, you will never even scratch the surface of who he is. This is the infinite God. After Paul got knocked off his high horse, in Acts chapter 9, he asked this question. Lord, who are you? He caught a glimpse of God that had him asking the question, who are you? And he was, he was looking for more than just a name. Yeah, he wanted a name, but there was something about his encounter with God that overwhelmed him and, and intrigued him and captivated him and had him wondering and he was curious to the point, who are you? I gotta know, who are you? And can I tell you, some of us need to be knocked off the horse again. Where we just have this encounter with God and we come to ask these questions, God, who are you? I'm intrigued by you. I want you. I was thinking now more than ever, you know, it seems like you can't watch TV without seeing these commercials with all these different appetite suppressants. They got pills and they got shots and they got counseling techniques and they've got just anything you want. They become a big business today. But God help us that our appetite for him should ever be suppressed. Where we have substituted him with just the junk of the world. We fill up on other things to the point that we're like, I'm good. We get to the point to where we say, well, you know, I got saved years ago in that one service and boy, I really got blessed. Well, good for you and I mean that. But there's more. All of God and who he is and what he wants for you is not been exhausted. You cannot scratch the, but the, you cannot but scratch the surface of the fullness of God and only God satisfies all of the ministries in this church have not been established. All of the souls have not been saved. You say, why are you bringing this kind of stuff up? Because if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're satisfied in the wrong stuff, you won't pursue the things of God. But God says all the ministries have not been established. All the souls have not been saved. We had a guy yesterday come into the worship conference and God saved his soul. Yesterday afternoon. All the ministry work's not been completed. All the sermons have not been preached. All of the songs have not been done. There is more to pursue and it starts with true worship. God help us to not just be satisfied with just being a Christian. You can have as much of God as you want as long as you're willing to pursue. Listen, if you're in a cold place with God, I'm urging you to and encouraging you to take, to take on the task of seeking him wholeheartedly. Give it a shot. I double dog dare you. And see if God does not pour out blessings. God said, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's really the question. Who or what has your heart? Lots of things have your attention. Lots of things have our interest. Lots of things go after your time, your talents, your money. But who or what has your heart?
That's really the question. And i got to be honest with you, if the answer isn't God, then simply repent and turn once more to him and tag him. And then let him come and tag you. And then you tag God. What, what else you got, God? And then he'll come and he'll tag you with more. Well, what else you got, God? And then he'll come and tag you. Is this it? What else you got? And you keep this pursuit of him. There's the opportunity or advantage of being able to pursue, and there's the individual being pursued. And that's God. David said this, one version that put it like this, it says, Oh God, you are my God, early will I seek you. David was pointing out that he wasn't just looking for any God, but specifically the one he had a personal connection with. When he referred to my God, it indicated a deep relationship or a covenant. And while there's many gods that people worship, David believed his God was on his side and only desired good things for him. It was almost as if David, when he said, my God, it's almost like David was asking the question, do you even understand who my God is? That's really kind of the, the implication there. He was like, can you even comprehend the greatness of my God? You know, the false gods, back in that time, all the Greek gods, you had a god that was over the seas, you had Zeus who was over the light and all this kind of stuff. And, and our God is like, no, 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 no. Our God doesn't just rule one element or something like that. He's over it all, friend. Those are all false. Those are all demonic lies. Our God is over it all. And that's really what, David, that's what he was saying. David was making it abundantly clear that my God is the one that he is pursuing. 17 times in eight verses, David indicates the person of his pursuit when he used words like you and your. He said, you, talking about God, are the person of my pursuit. He would say, you, you, or he'd say, your. And what about you and your life? Who or what are you pursuing? Who or what are you worshiping? Title? Money? Comfortable retirement? Here's one. Maybe even family. Maybe, maybe you're pursuing just a life at ease. Maybe you're just pursuing, I want to be a wallflower in the house of God, nothing more. That's good for me until I get to heaven. I just, I just want to ride it out. I'll be happy just hanging out, whatever happens. Maybe that's who you are. But only God will truly satisfy you. Just imagine if everyone come to church on Sunday morning and evening and they had this mindset. They didn't come and looking for recognition to avoid criticism. I'm here. I hope they see me. Hope I get credit for it. They didn't necessarily come to socialize or network with people. Listen, that's got its place. Come on. It wasn't just some sort of an obligation that they had to, uh, you know, oblige because it's the weekend. They didn't care who's preaching. They didn't care who's singing. They didn't care who was on stage. No, their sole reason for coming was it's Sunday. I get to worship God. I get to worship God with like-minded believers and lift up the name of Jesus. These days, most people are focused on finding things like success or wealth, or good jobs, or maybe they're looking for something for nothing. You ever heard that expression before? Man, these people just want something for nothing. God forbid that that be us. Where we show up to church and we say, God, we want something for nothing. 
something for nothing. Listen, God wants you to be successful, but I think it's important to prioritize the well-being of your soul and that through prioritizing God. Lately on Wednesday nights, I've been teaching out of Matthew chapter 6, and that chapter points out that we are to collect heavenly treasures and not just earthly treasures, which are lost to decay and theft, but they'll also pull you away from proper worship. Let me just say this, God wants to be your number one priority. Flat out. So when Jesus says in there, seek first the kingdom of God, he's telling us that our primary focus should be on pursuing a relationship with God and aligning ourselves with his will. It means putting him above all things. You know what the number one competitor of our pursuit with God is? Things. Stuff. It can refer to anything that takes up your time and your energy and your, for your affection more so than it does God. It could be money, it could be success, it could be relationships, it could even be personal ambitions, on and on and on. God has given us all of these things to enjoy and there's nothing wrong with enjoying them outwardly. But where are those things in your heart? God will not settle for second place. As I was putting this message together and I really began to study out this chapter... It's like, it's like what David was trying to show people, what the Lord's trying to show us in this passage is that only God satisfies. I told the praise team yesterday, the worship team yesterday, as I was talking to them, and, and, and this goes for the broader church. This, let me just share from the heart for just a moment. In, in roughly, roughly 25 years of ministry, going on 25 years of ministry, I've had conversations with people that go something like this when it comes to serving the Lord and all this kind of stuff. It, it goes something like this. People that are kind of, you know, when it comes to the church, they're kind of like, mm, not so sure. They just kind of, mm, not so sure. And, and in a general sense, the conversation will go something like this. They'll be like, well, you know, you Christians, you know, you claim to worship God and serve God and all this kind of stuff, but really I don't, I don't see any difference in you. I don't, I don't see the difference between you and the world, so what's the point? I'm just, this is how the world, is this okay? This is how the world feels. Is this okay? And, and it's like what David was trying to show people in this chapter here, through this passage here, is that look, only God satisfies. So this is how this kind of applies to us in the broader church. It's like this, when we come in to worship, and we're able to lift our hands in spite of everything that might be going on around us and in spite of everything that might be going on in our lives, it's telling these people that are questioning us, hey, let me tell you, all hell might be going on around me, but he's still worthy. It's telling the world that yes, I, we, we go through the same stuff that you go through, but when I get in the presence of God, I have a satisfaction and a joy that satisfies me where the rest of the world doesn't understand. It doesn't mean that, that we don't go through the same struggles of the rest of the world, but it's saying that when we come and worship God, it signifies to the, to the world that, that all is well. The scripture says that we're to worship him in spirit and in truth. 
We don't come in here out of some sort of religious duty, but we're worshiping him in the truth of the word and the truth in our hearts and our lives. And we're saying, God, only you satisfy me in the middle of all the turmoil. That's the distinction. Let go of any competitors in your pursuit of God. Jesus said this, put him first, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here now. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Put God first in every area of your life and watch how everything else will fall into place. Just watch how everything will fall into place. God says, if you'll pursue me first, if you'll worship me as priority, then I'll add to you what everybody is chasing after. That's a pretty good deal. God takes care of the worry. And let me tell you, he doesn't worry. He's got nothing to worry about. It's important because whoever we pursue becomes the object of our worship. Sometimes even without realizing it, we start worshiping things that Jesus had mentioned earlier. But I'm going to just put it to you like this. If the thing that you worship, if the thing that you esteem is not able to, I don't know, heal the blind, comfort the brokenhearted, owns the cattle of a thousand hills, save you completely, protect your marriage, rebuke demons, calm storms, walk on water, raise the dead. If the thing you're worshiping doesn't do that, you've got the short end of the stick, friend. And it's time to understand that only God is worthy of that kind of worship. Otherwise, you're robbing yourself of the presence of the Lord and you're denying him his rightful place, his glory. Make sure you're pursuing the thing that satisfies. I want to kind of start bringing this thing to a close. I have learned as a husband, as a father, and a pastor, I can't afford distractions. I don't know about you, things that would pull me, pull me from giving God the kind of glory that he deserves. It's like the old hymn, the old song that used to say, I need you, oh, I need you every hour, I need you. That is not an exaggeration. There's a purpose of the pursuit of God who satisfies. If you've ever read through the Psalms and especially David's Psalms, you'll realize that there is a progression in David's thinking over time. It kind of shows a growth. It, it, over time, it kind of shows a level of maturity and his understanding of God and his relationship with him. David said in, in, in Psalm 105 verse 4, he says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face. Now, this is important. Seek his face. The, pur the, the purpose of pursuit is to ultimately seek the face of God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, but really we're to pursue his face. Notice it says his face and not his hands. This is important because the hands in this context, it's talking about the things that God can do for you. When God's working with his hands on your behalf, it's him doing something for you. And we're all thankful for what God can do for us, but are we more interested in what he means to us? Let me say that again. We're all interested in what God can do for us, but are we more interested in what God means to us? 
I used to, I, I've said this before behind the, the pulpit, and I, and I say this somewhat teasingly, but when my, when my kids were little, I would say things to them like, I love you, and I don't even know why I love you. You can't do nothing for me. I do everything for you. And I would just kind of tease them, you know, and then I'd pick them up and I would love on them and I would hug on them and I would kiss them. And, and here's the thing, they couldn't do anything for me, but I would love them to death. They mean the world to me. You understand what I mean? And I think it's kind of our, the same way we are with God. We're like, God, I'll love you in, in as far and in as much as you'll do something for me. But what does he mean to you? What does God mean to you? You see, I think that's the difference between praise and worship. You say, what do you mean by that? You see, you praise God for what he's done for you and what he is doing and what you're believing he's going to do. But worship is recognizing who he is and exalting him and glorifying him in spite of what he may or may not do. The Bible says you praise him for his mighty acts. So, like, if God ever, any, anybody ever been healed? Yeah. And you praise God for that. You glorify him because he did this thing for you on this date at this time. You can go back to that act where God put his hands to work on your behalf and you praise him for that. But then there's this other thing called worship. Where worship says, I recognize you as greater than I am and you're worthy of it all in spite of anything you do or don't do for me. That's the difference. Worship is supposed to be a continual thing, whereas praise might be contingent. And listen, we can always find ways and, and reasons to praise God, and those things may or may not come to our minds, but worship is to be a lifestyle, and when we worship God, here's the promise. He'll satisfy you. He will satisfy you as of with choice food. Will you get in his presence and where everything in your life might be falling apart and you get into his presence and you're able to just sit back and say, oh, thank you, God. That's to be a lifestyle. There is nothing and no one like him anywhere. He is before all. He is greater than all. And as a result, he is worthy of worship. I got to close with this. Let your worship be based on who he is and it'll impact the rest of your life. He'll take care of the rest. Let people see your unity and your worship of the Lord and that will grow the church. Let your unity as a church and our unity as a church amplify the effect of that ministry. Listen, I think one of the fastest ways to grow the church is when people see genuine believers excited and satisfied with God. Satisfied with God. 
where you walk around, I'm not talking about where you put a fake smile on your face, but where I'm talking about you walk around and you've got a genuine contentment in your heart and you're satisfied in God because this God is for you. As David said, not just any God, my God. My God is for me. My God is for me. And all hell can be breaking loose, but you are satisfied and there is a contentment and there is a joy and, and it's, there's a glory that comes on you and it's obvious. I worship him because he is. That's what, that's what God told Moses in Genesis. Genesis or God, Moses said, who should I say sent me? He said, you tell him I am. And because I am is, I worship him. It's just that simple. I am is, so I worship him. I want everybody to stand tonight. This is a holy moment before the Lord. This is a holy moment before the Lord. How many of you feel the power of God in the house? Yes. Every head bowed. Let's, let's just take a moment here. Mm. Mm. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Listen, I, I want to encourage you to take a few moments. If you want to praise him, if something comes to your mind right now and you want to praise him for something he has done, then I want you to praise him right now. Do it. Speak that thing. Say it out loud. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing this for me. Name it. Multiple things. Name them. Brag on him. Thank him. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. He's here without a shadow of a doubt. The presence of God is in this place. But I sense that he is getting ready to manifest in a way. He's getting ready to manifest in a way. I, I just sense that. I feel that. So have you told him? Have you praised him? Wave your hands at me if you've, if you've praised him. Okay. Now, 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 I want you just to worship him. I want you to worship him. I want you to glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, now you're entering into another level. You're entering into another. You say, well, Josh, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be in his presence. Well, listen, if you're saved, the shed blood of Jesus has covered you and you are worthy. Come on, let me hear some voices worshiping the Lord. If, if you don't know what else to say, say what the angels say about it. If you can't come up with another word, just, just say what they say, holy. Holy, as Pastor John mentioned a moment ago, set apart. That's what it means. He's set apart. You're set apart. You are so other than us, God. You are so completely 
and totally other than anything like us. Now what I want you to do is I want you to come to the front. We're going to have a time of unified worship. Unified worship. Come on, let's get close. Let's, let's magnify the Lord together. Let's worship the Lord together. Just stand, raise your hands. If you want to kneel, you kneel. If you want to lay prostrate, you lay prostrate. If you want to just clap your hands, if you want to wave your hands, if you, I want you to enter into, you say, well, Josh, it's hard. Listen, don't let the enemy rob you of the satisfaction of your soul in worshiping the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bind any hindrance. We bind anybody that, that, that is afraid to come into your presence. Because of what Jesus did, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. You've made a way for us, God. Come on, let's worship the Lord for just a moment. John and them is going to sing.